blessed be the name blessed be the name of jesus uh, greetings greetings saints in the name of jesus uh, welcome to the rooftop herald uh, it's our thursday session and i hope everybody's doing well and uh, these podcasts have been a blessing to you thank you so much for sharing thank you so much for listening thank you so much for your feedbacks you know your your questions and your your engagement on these uh, subjects that we present on this platform is it's really much encouraging uh, please keep on doing so in the name of our lord and savior christ jesus i'm gonna push that this podcast lasts at least for 15 minutes uh, maximum 20 minutes you know I always put myself boundaries as far as time is concerned, but sometimes I get so overwhelmed, I get excited, and I get to, you know, unleash certain things that I feel that I need to unleash at that particular time, and I always cross the border of time. But I hope it is worth it in the name of Jesus. So, yeah, today we're going to be talking about... uh, we're going to do another exegesis from the book of Luke this time. The book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. And we are doing chapter number 14 and uh, verse number 23. All right. Uh, yeah, so that will be our point of departure for today's subject. All right. Uh, let's start with verse 1. Luke 14 verse 1. It says, Now it happened... As he went into the house of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat the bread on Sabbath, that they watched him closely. Okay, so Jesus went into the house of a chief Pharisee or the rulers of the Pharisee to eat bread on Sabbath. And the Bible says they watched Jesus closely. All right, verse number three says, Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, or the bridges, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Okay, there's a word that is very important that I want to emphasize, actually, is the word compel. All right, the word compel. The word compel is the Greek word anakazo. All right, anakazo means to necessitate. Anakazo means to come to compel, to, to, to constrain, all right? There's a level of um, an understanding of a force that can be used with that word. For instance, in the book of Acts, when uh, they forced Peter to be circumcised, the correct word there is to compel, to necessitate, to constrain, okay? In Greek, is anakazo. So it's whereby you have now the power to persuade something. Okay, to change something, to convince someone, all right? That power is called Anakazo, all right? So I want to talk about Anakazo. It's actually a name that you even use for a Bible school. Yeah, so we're going to be engaging more or less on those lines uh, concerning today's subject or passage of Scripture. Now, Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture authenticates Scripture. Scripture must always validate scripture scripture must complement and supplement scripture scriptures are never against itself all right um the 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 scriptures are plenary they are complete we preach the 66 books we know that and um in these 66 books we lack nothing 
okay we have found our salvation we have lent our faith and god is pleased with us we there is a restoration that has happened because of the work of the cross there is eternity that has already been given to us and christ is our very inheritance and we shall see god through holiness and we have uh, managed to keep the standards that the laws and the moral laws civil laws and ceremonial laws that have required from mankind through Christ Jesus by faith okay so there's nothing that uh, is lacking from this 66 book so this book is plenar right it is complete it is sufficient it lacks nothing in our faith this book is also uh, getting final authority like i always say this book is inerrant does not have mistakes this book is infallible okay you can put your head on the block concerning this uh, particular book and it shall save you all right so we preach it gracefully we preach it redemptively uh, knowing that um, indeed the story of redemption must come to an end or to finish okay uh, we must come to that place whereby the spirit and the bride see the lord jesus uh, that place where the bride which is the church meets jesus and become one with jesus okay the work of redemption must continue to be done until until jesus comes back basically so we preach it covenantally we recognize all the covenantal um and laws that God has given us especially the last covenant which is through his son Christ Jesus the covenant of grace and truth like John 1:1 says that uh, Moses brought us the law but Christ Jesus has brought uh, grace and uh, truth okay and uh, we preach it also recognizing the fact that a kingdom that is standing against itself will never stand meaning the truth has not two sides it has not it does not have two sides truth only has one side god is like fire he's a consuming fire he only has one purpose he scorches all right so this word is carrying final authority it is the highest level of truth okay and this truth is is not only a concept but a person called christ jesus so yes we need to trust this word so Let's entertain what we have here for today uh, concerning anakazo all right the power to necessitate the power to convince uh, I want us to build up a case as to say how did Jesus get to say those words uh, in that particular parable you know how Jesus actually went to those words now this this book all right this this is an account of uh, a man by the name of of Luke okay who actually claims that he was an eyewitness of this particular man called Christ Jesus in his first verses chapter 1 uh, verse 1 2 3 4 you realize that actually Luke is talking about how he has actually witnessed um this gospel and stuff like that so he also wrote the book of acts all right Uh, we're not actually sure about his ethnicity whether he was a gentile or he was a jew well it's not written anywhere okay except the fact that some of the uh, the scholars will actually refer you to acts 16 where there was an issue about circumcision and most of the brethren that were companions with paul they could not walk with paul uh, because they needed people who were circumcised to speak to them so 
uh, Peter and Luke, they remained behind. So by the mere fact that they did that, it's actually a sign that he was a Gentile. But nonetheless, I love the brother. I love this old man. I love this man of God because he is very confident in the presentation of this particular truth um, to his wonderful friend called Theophilus. All right. Uh, Luke was a disciple of uh, Paul. He was a companion of Paul, just like Peter. They walked together. If you read the book of Acts, he uses words like we, you know, terms like we, meaning he was part and parcel of what Paul was doing or what God was doing, doing through uh, the, the acts of the apostle, through Paul and all of that. So in the missionary journeys that Paul had, Paul had three missionary journeys, okay? He had three missionary journeys in a time frame of about 10 years. All right, imagine that, which is also a lesson to us to say because this missionary journey was actually church planting, all right, that Paul did it only three times. And in one journey, he has raised you know, a number of churches and stuff like that. We, we can also learn from that to say now it is possible as a man of God that God does not have, you know, 100 missionary journeys for you or church planting. It could be a season that is only going to come once in your lifetime. And yet through that season, many churches will be established. But it's a story for another time. Um yeah, so he was a companion with Paul. He was also a son. I believe Luke was a son to Paul because of his presentation on how he presented Paul and all of that and uh, his language concerning uh, concerning the gospel. He has learned a lot uh, from this man called Paul uh, of Tarsus. All right, yeah. So he has written now an account of uh, this gospel according to Luke and is writing to a particular individual called Theophilus. Theophilus means a friend of God or a lover of God. Um, many people or the scholars, they believe that this man was actually one of the noble uh, people in Rome, okay, uh, from the Greek kingdom, so they say. So he was one of those noble people, but there's not much that is revealed as well concerning Theophilus. But uh, it seems as if it was a key person uh, to look. It could be that he was a son to look. It could be that he was somebody in authority that has now accepted, you know, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wanted to give him more information as to say how the gospel came about because he he's using an honorary language on how he addresses Theophilus on the first verses in the uh, in the book of Luke. Alright, so this is a letter that was written to this particular individual. Very powerful and inspirational uh, gospel. It reveals, you know, uh, the path of, of which is something that other gospels don't do. Alright, it reveals the path of, of John. All right. It reveals also the, the visitations that the, the, the shepherds had concerning the Messiah, the story of Elizabeth and, and Zacharias uh, serving in the temple, the issue of genealogy, okay, the genealogy that is actually tracing the womb of Jesus Christ, okay, for the first time in all genealogical uh, history of the Bible, they actually get to reveal women that were involved in the coming of the Messiah. So uh, Luke, as a physician, he reveals actually uh, the womb of um, the womb of of Christ, of how Christ came about in this world, compared to to Matthew. Matthew was just revealing the um, the paternal side, or rather the genealogy that has to do with the seed 
all right so yeah it's a very interesting book it's a very interesting book and uh, he was a physician and stuff like that you can tell from his language the excellency in his speech but it was just a common language to to the people of rome or to them that he has written a letter to all right so he was not using any terminologies or medical terms and stuff like that he was it was just a common language of the greece and uh, and a little bit of aramaic there and there all right so in chapter 14 let's talk about this chapter in a few minutes in a few minutes this chapter chapter 14 what is happening here is that jesus he gets to visit now what you call the house of a, a ruler of the pharisees when you talk about the chief pharisee we are actually talking about somebody who's at the level of the magistrates okay somebody who is um, um you know uh, having a rank in the judiciary segments for instance um uh, if you read further on these verses, you realize that actually the Bible does mention the fact that there were lawyers. It acknowledges that there were lawyers and the Pharisees that were actually uh, invited into that particular feast. All right. So what is important here? What is important here is for us to note that uh, in this book or first verse, in this chapter, in this passage, the Bible reveals to us that Jesus, he went into the house of a Pharisee and uh, it was a feast, all right, in the evening. So what will happen is, is the feast of, um, um, the Bible says that um, he was there, it was a feast of Sabbath, okay, which is Shabbat, the seventh day of the week. Alright, so what will normally happen is this feast will happen in the evening and uh, noble people like in this chapter, they were invited to come and share the bread together. Alright, so Jesus was part of that and the Bible says that they had their eyes uh, on him very close, meaning they were watching him uh, as the Messiah because now he's mingling with unbelievers. Okay. He's interacting with the publicans. He's act, acting with the tax collectors and, and, and people who are also noble because the chief um, ruler of the Pharisees, you can tell that it was not just a normal uh, mere person. You know, it was somebody who was very key in the community and stuff like that. So it was Sabbath. Now, let's just entertain this word Sabbath, okay, just for a few minutes before we get into the text. And in verse 23, Sabbath is a principle that was actually established uh, from the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse number 2, all right? The, the concept of Sabbath has two meanings, all right? The first one is, uh, the Bible says actually in Genesis 2, 2, that uh, God ceased from working and he rested, all right? So the principle of Shabbat has to do with one coming to a place of stopping to work. You must cease to work. And two, then you begin the rest. Meaning the rest of God will never begin until you cease to work. We must learn that from God. And it has been generations that have been commemorating those days and learning from God. This does not mean that God was tired. Okay, God was just establishing... Um, you know, a principle for us to recognize him as God, to remember that he is God, that he is the creator of the universe and of the earth. One day we must also entertain the fact that there is no difference between creation and formation. Okay, I know it's a story for another time, but I need to highlight to you that when God created man, 
chapter 2 of the book of Genesis gives us the details on how he has actually created man. So the formation part is actually the how part of creation. There's nothing different. There's no gap there. When God created Adam from the dust, okay, he created him from the dust through the, and he breathed on him. You see, the how part, the for, what you call formation, is not distant from creation. Okay, well, it's a story for another time. Let me not um, engage on that. I want to get to Anakaz. I want to get to that place of, uh, you know, to necessitate, yes, to, 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 to persuade somebody, to change and convince somebody's mind. Yeah, how did Jesus get to that? Now, what is happening is, so, so Sabbath continued, all right, generations to generations. And what happened is in when God drew out the children of Israel from Egypt, which is the world, he also uh, required them to commemorate Passover. And there was what you call now the High Sabbath. Okay. There were other Sabbath or other holidays that were in Israel, but there were, there were also holidays that were called High Sabbath, meaning in those holidays, it's a must for one not to do anything and to observe what the law was actually saying. So Shabbat was part of those um, High Sabbath or High Holidays, all right? Other holidays will be, for instance, on if there's a Sabbath tomorrow, on a Friday, when the sun sets, when the sun sets, then the holiday uh, of Shabbat begins. But the high Sabbath will be on sunrise the following, uh, the following day. Hence, when Jesus was crucified, uh, they had to get uh, Joseph to come and take the body because by tomorrow there was no one that was supposed to actually carry the body and stuff like that. It was a high Shabbat. Okay, long story. Yeah, but I'm not there today. Yeah, actually one day you must entertain the, those theories on and get to understand when was Jesus crucified and, and stuff like that. It's going to be interesting. Nonetheless, so that is the principle of Shabbat. So it continued for many days. Now, you must remember the book of Colossians chapter number 2. If you read from verse 14 up to verse number 23, somewhere down there, the Bible does talk about the moons, the times, the food and the drinks and the Sabbath to say and the moons to say now they were just a shadow of the things to come but the substance the bible does say but the substance is christ the word substance in that verse is the word soma the word soma means the body all right those who have done somatology they'll actually have a better understanding so basically what paul was trying to say in the book of colossians or the collusion church is the fact that when they celebrated the moons when they celebrated the feast when they celebrated the food and drinks and the holidays and the sabbath they were actually celebrating a shadow that has a shape of a body because the substance is christ so if the substance substance soma or the body is Christ. That means the shape of the shadow must be actually um, um, relevant or fitting, okay, uh, or equal at least to the body. Okay, it must give the shape of the body. Yeah, I, I think you get what I'm trying to say. So, in the Old Testament, basically, when they celebrated these feasts and they celebrated all of these things, they were actually not in a shadow that was without a form. So, in them commemorating Shabbat, 
Number one was to keep the law. Two, the reasons for them to, to keep Shabbat was that uh, they knew that these things die are a shadow of the things to come, meaning there is a Messiah or there is going to be a fulfillment of that which they do temporarily so that it can be done permanently. All right, so they knew as they were doing and celebrating and keeping ceremonial laws and all of these uh, civil laws and all of that that was required from Israel. They did that. Uh, the feasts, you know, the high holy days, low holy days. They did all of these things knowing exactly that there's going to come a time of the fulfillment of that which is temporal to them by means of uh, bringing something that is permanent. All right, so they knew these things. They knew these things. So Sabbath continued, and um, unfortunately, what happened is it has adopted a lot of culture because as the time went by, you know, generations were born, sin was uh, actually troubling the children of Israel and stuff like that. So there's a lot that has actually happened during that time. So what happens here in the book of Luke? Right during the days of Jesus Christ, there are people, the Pharisees are actually celebrating Sabbath. Uh, but now we find that there is a lot of you know legalism that is actually attached to this particular day. Okay, God is the one that has instructed Israel to keep Sabbath, but also there we find that there's what you call the Mishkot, all right, because the laws that were given by God in Ex, not Ex, Exodus chapter 20, all right, the Ten Commandments, the law of Shabbat was also given there. However, we see now later on that there are other laws that were actually added by the Pharisees, okay, in order to maintain and to govern people and to keep them observing this particular day called the Shabbat, which is the seventh day of the week, all right? So, for instance, if... Um, and, you know, the, the Pharisees, they had a problem with the disciples of Jesus, you know, plucking out corn or wheat uh, during Sabbath. Okay, they had such questions uh, towards Jesus in the book of Mark. And by the way, Jesus has performed most of his miracles, or at least seven. There are seven accounts in which Jesus has actually performed miracles on Shabbat. Okay, yeah, but we'll entertain that some other time. But what I'm trying to show you is that the reason why there was so much controversy on Shabbat and Jesus had to be like he is against Shabbat, it was because they, the Pharisees, they had added laws. Okay, they've added uh, to the laws of God. Uh, they were more legalistic. Okay, from the 10 laws, they developed 613 laws in order to govern the uh, whole of Israel. That's why Paul says in the book of Romans, he that keeps the law must keep it all. It's quite impossible to keep 613 laws. It is impractical. It is impossible. As an individual, remembering 613 laws, uh, it might take you a lifetime. And for you to keep them, you'll need another lifetime. So it was quite difficult. That's why we need grace. When you have Jesus, you have already kept the law, okay? Because he has fulfilled that which was required for that particular law. For instance, Jesus said to the Pharisees this other time, he said to them, um, uh, it is not the people that were made for the day. Okay, but it is the day that is made for people, meaning, uh, you know, Sabbath is subject to us and we are not subject to Sabbath. Okay, we must rest. The day must bring us rest. That is why he says, come to me, all of you have a laden, I'll give you what rest. All right. So the concept of Sabbath is no longer a day, but now a person. All right. So, yeah. 
Okay, very interesting. Let's move on quickly. Oh, Jesus. Um, okay, what happens is there's a, Jesus now gets to, uh, there's a, remember they are watching him, all right? They are watching him. So there's a boy there who is having uh, a drowsy, uh, what do you call it, drowsy, drowsy, drowsy um, uh, sickness, all right? Which is now the sickness that has to do with the swelling of the body. And then it's also actually evident on your face. Your face becomes disfigured because of the swelling through the water that has been absorbed by your body and stuff like that. So it was a very painful, excruciating pain, perhaps, that this particular man or boy was feeling. And Jesus, he healed him in front of the Pharisees and he allowed him to go. All right. So he healed him on Sabbath. Okay. So he's doing things and then he's now speaking parables right and then he, he starts to tell a parable uh, of a lowly place remember parable para means to throw a bull means along so when you are doing a parable you are actually telling a story that has a deeper meaning the bible says jesus taught nothing unless in parables all right the reason main of the part of the main reasons why jesus had to teach in parables is so that maybe they can understand what he's saying, but not really get the deeper meaning of it. Because if they do get the deeper meaning of it, this person called Christ Jesus will be crucified before his time. He will die before his time. So it was a language that was used um, with all wisdom in order to communicate something that makes sense to people. But without them looking into the deeper meaning, they will never actually understand what Jesus has to say. Most of the parables Jesus Yes, he did explain, but most of the parables that he spoke to the Pharisees, he never explained. He explained parables to the disciples in most cases. So yeah, this is a situation. So he starts to speak in parables in, uh, you know, in that particular place. And he talks about the places because the, the Pharisees, they held themselves so high above everybody. They thought they're the most important people since they understood the law. Therefore, they, they practiced um, this, you know, honorary appearance uh, that must be recognized by everybody who comes across them. So that was an issue. So it gets to tell uh, the, the, the parable of a, a, a lowly place and stuff like that. And then there's another one, a parable of the Great Supper uh, in verse 15, all right, which is also very important. Um, because there he talks about, you know, Great Supper and inviting people that are poor so that they won't be a recompensation that you receive from them, all right, which talks about um, the heart of a Pharisee, that they do things so that they can receive praise, all right, they want to be called fathers, like Matthew 23 says, they want to be called a great teacher and all of that, they want to receive honor from men, as they do something for you, it was uh, actually in their nature to expect uh, some sort of a recompensation from them, Okay, so that parable is addressing that heart. Okay, the first parable that I spoke about, uh, which is a parable of a lowly place, is making an example to say now if you're invited in a wedding, don't take the higher places because that's the heart of the Pharisees. They always wanted to take a higher place. 
okay, when they're invited, they thought of themselves to be more important than any other person. So Jesus says, unless the groom comes, which is himself, and then when he gets there, he'll tell you to move down to a lowly place and place his guests that needs to take those particular high seats, you see? So he's dealing with the heart and the attitude of the Pharisees or the Jews that they have held themselves so high. So in this other parable, now the, the, the continuous... And the, the, the other part, okay, which is verse number 23, okay, that parable was now addressing because there was a man uh, on the table that he actually engaged Jesus um, on this parable or that made Jesus to actually uh, say this particular parable. And he says there was a man uh, who was actually bidding everybody to come to the feast, people that are more important to come to the feast. And then you know, he tells a story that he, he went to invite, um, he sent somebody to invite people um, uh, over and the other one says, no, I just bought land, okay, I cannot come to the feast, okay, and the other one says, no, I have just bought, um, um, what do you call this, the oxen, okay, a cup, uh, a yoke of oxen, okay, or a yoke of five oxen. Okay, I'll explain that just now. And then the other one says, I'm, I've just got married, so I can't come to the feast. So normally when this uh, is a parable of the, you know, the feast of the lamb, like Revelations 19 says, the feast of the lamb or the supper, uh, of the lamb, so it is called in the Bible. It talks about the end times, or it talks about the kingdom of God. So, what happens here is that Jesus is giving a picture of the how the Pharisees they'll actually behave when the message of the kingdom has been preached to them. Number one, they'll be concerned about their land, that uh, you know they just bought the land, therefore they can't come. Meaning they'll be more attached to the land. That is why I have a problem with somebody who's actually uh, thinking natural you know israel more than the spiritual israel to say there's no jew no creek and this is not a replacement theology or anything like that the bible does actually migrate from the natural israel to the supernatural israel it was a natural rock now a supernatural rock it was natural israel but now a supernatural israel without ethnicity without saying no naturally i'm a jew actually the jews themselves Okay, they must be born again. They must believe in their own brother, just like us, the Gentiles. So there's no one who has a special place and a special treatment when it comes to the things of God. So the, the first person that said to uh, the, the preacher, no, I need to go and look at my land. I just bought a new land, represents the Jews or the people that are so attached to their roots. All right. Two, the, this guy says, no, I've just bought, you know, a yoke of five oxen i want you to note that the yoke yoke means a couple okay a couple of five oxen meaning now there's not only five oxen the oxen there's 10 of them okay because of the weight yoke so if they're yoked together it means there's two of them in one yoke okay so this talks about the law that this person is so much concerned about the law and then there's still a veil like the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3 says what Paul says about uh, them that have uh, kept the law and rejected grace, that the veil of Moses is still on their faces. So this talks about the Jews and the Pharisees that they don't want to receive the message to come to the supper of the Lamb because they're still um, keeping the oxen, the yoke 
the yoke of the five oxen, meaning there's 10 oxen and 10 is a number of the law. They love the law so much that they don't want to receive grace. And the other one says, I need to enjoy my new wife. All right, this talks about an immature church, a church they like to entertain, a church that is still immature, they still upcoming church, you know. Yeah, so that's, those are the reasons why they will not come to the supper of the Lamb. So what happens here is that Jesus, uh, and he says now the, 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 the owner of the supper, okay, he sends again the servants and he says to the servant, go to the highways and the byways. And now the highways and the byways, you will not actually find noble people or important people. You normally find, um, you know, people that are poor, okay? People that are poor, people who never had even garments to be part of that, that made them qualify to be part of the banquet, you see, that... Uh, you know, they, they will never actually, they knew it was a hard thing for them to actually dine with the king. Hence, Jesus says this time, go and compel them. So this is a message that um, is actually uh, deep down here in my heart to say now, we need to come to that place where we understand that the message of the master requires us to compel and necessitate and constrain people to come to the kingdom. We need to ensure that the message that the master has given us, it reaches people's hearts because their condition will never actually tell them or convince them that they qualify to dine with the king, that they qualify to be part of the kingdom, that they qualify to be part and parcel of that which God is doing in our generation. There has to be a compelling power. There has to be the anakazo, the compelling power. Now, the Bible does not say that that servant was given special powers, signs and wonders, or whatever, in order to convince these people that the king is bidding them for, for a supper, you know. But it simply tells us that they had to go and compel, okay. So, the compelling power, let me cut it short because it's already 33 minutes. The, this power to necessitate Barcelona, this power to constrain, this power to change somebody who does not uh, actually have anything that convinces him that is part of the kingdom of God. And I'm talking about evangelism. Okay. That power to, to the anakazo power, that power to change, convince somebody. That power that reaches the core of a human being that allows him, that force, okay? Like I said, the word anakazo is also attached to, uh, you know, having that element of using force. And we're not going to use, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, physical enforcement for you to come to the kingdom of God. No. But there has to be that element of force that we carry. Let me tell you what is that anakazo. The person, the, the people that were poor, Right, the people that were poor who are listening to this servant, inviting them and bidding them so that the house of the Lord can be filled. All right, they will not actually listen to any other thing that you have, but they will listen to the very same words that the king has given you. So, the anakazo, 
okay, the power to necessitate is actually the words that Christ has given us in order to win the world. Meaning when we speak what the master has spoken to us, the world will have no choice, but they'll be constrained. They'll be forced. They'll be compelled. This will necessitate them to come into the kingdom. The problem is that you want to change the message. The problem is that we we want to have... um, you know, other other means for these people to come to the kingdom. They could have just, you know, um, entangled them and, and, and brought them through uh, to the kingdom by force. But no, they had, they had to believe the words that the servant has, has, has spoken, you know. Oh, Jesus, I wish I had a better word to preach this. You know, anyone who's sent by God, anybody who who is called by God to preach the gospel. I want you to know that within you, as you speak the word of God, you already have the undercards of power, the power to compel, the power to convince. And that power comes because of the witness of the spirit, which is the Holy Spirit in you. All right. Yeah, that's the power to compel. That's the power to necessitate. All right. You don't need special powers. There's there's, there's absolutely no need for you to go and buy powers <laughs> for you to do or to convince people to come to the kingdom of God. We're going to see uh, much of a revival. We're going to see a lot of souls coming to the Lord. We're going to see massive, massive, massive revivals. And I'm not talking tent. I'm not talking a tent that is filled with people. I'm talking a serious wave of repentance, a serious wave of the hunger for God. Because there's going to be those people that God will uh, actually use. And they will speak as of the oracles of God. Know, the clarions of God. They will speak the exact words of the master and the world will have no choice but to return and to respond to the, to the bidding and to the invitation from the master so that his house can be filled. Oh, I pray that you may be used by God. I pray that you may be part of the generation. You know, I can imagine uh, the type of a person that, ser- that servant was, you know, for the mere fact that he was a servant, that means he never appeared to them as somebody superior. It could have been somebody who's on their level. We, we must learn to abase ourselves. We must learn to humble ourselves enough to go to the poor of the poorest, to go to the rich of the richest, and, uh, and be able to bring the message of the kingdom. God is calling them. God is calling those people to come and be part of the feast. May God bless you. May God cause his face to shine upon you. May he give you that special power, the anakazo power, that compelling, restraining uh, power uh, to, to convince somebody to come to the Lord. And if you are doing evangelism and you are listening to this tape, may you receive fresh anointing. May you be refreshed. May souls be worn through your words. And know as the Lord uses you in whatever region, in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.